the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. press on. Everything else can go behind, but I press on to the high price of my calling. And what was it? That I may know Him. We have these questions and we're like, Lord, what do I do? Where do I go? And the Lord's just like, I'm the way. Me. Follow me. Just pursue me. That's the direction you need to go. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. We have seen God work the miraculous by liberating the Israelites from their bondage to Egypt. God gave them His moral law and the civil and ceremonial laws by which they would interact with Him and with each other. Though they had failed and broken their covenant with God, Israel was shown mercy. God had been preparing a new generation to enter the land promised to them. Moses was writing about their history, reminding them of God's past faithfulness so that they would walk into their promised future. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 26. So Deuteronomy, we learned last week, is the fifth and final book of the law. Israel is still camped on the east side of the Jordan River, opposite Jericho. And while the word Deuteronomy means second law, and the book of Deuteronomy expounds on much of the law that was already given, it's not simply a repetition of the law. Moses, who is now 120 years old, is explaining to a generation unfamiliar with the experience at Sinai, where God gave the law to his people. They're unfamiliar with those experiences at Sinai. He's explaining to that generation why those laws were given and why they should follow the God who gave them. And in doing so, he's teaching them how to love God supremely. That's the theme of Deuteronomy, loving God supremely. He's teaching them how to love God supremely, how to love their neighbors as themselves and to glorify God in all they do. And so that's what we're going to learn about. We love him because he first loved us. And so this first part of Moses' farewell speech to Israel, it recounts all that God had done for them for the last 40 years. As such, it should remind us of all that God has done in our lives too, that we might love him supremely, love our neighbors as ourselves, and seek to glorify him in all we do. Last week, we saw how God had given the land to Israel as a gift, but they refused to go in. And so tonight, as we see God's preservation of Israel, despite that unbelief, you know, may that everlasting love encourage us to trust in him more and more in our own journey with him. So Deuteronomy chapter one, and I want to recap the first 25 verses. We're going to pick it up in verse 26, but Moses has said to them, listen, the Lord's brought us a long way from our slavery in Egypt. And even though we stopped at Sinai for a year to receive God's law, it should have never taken as long as it took to get where we are now. 
And so Moses recounts to this generation why that massive delay occurred. God had sent them from Sinai with everything they needed to succeed. In verse 6, the Lord our God has spoken to us in Mount Oreb, which is Sinai, saying, you have dwelt long enough in this mountain. I've given you everything you need to take the land. He explained to them how God had given them everything they needed, but instead of going in, they sent spies. Leaders chosen by Moses in a time of deep discouragement. It wasn't God's plan, but Moses chose them in a time of deep discouragement to figure out the best way to take the land. So despite seeing that the land was good, just like God had told them, they given to fear and they rejected the power that God gave them. These leaders that Moses assigned, they rejected the power God gave them. The spirit he put upon Moses put them upon them. They rejected that power to lead the people through the obstacles they found and instead give an evil report. And that report absolutely wrecks the nation. So verse 26 is where we see that happening. Notwithstanding, verse 26 says, you would not go up. But you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites and to destroy us. Whither or how shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. You know, these poor leaders, bad leaders, convince the people that God hates them. Can you think of any worse thing that a leader could do for the people of God? They convince them that God hates them. When you think of all the evidence that God had on display over the course of this year out of Egypt, why would you think that? God had delivered them from the slavery in Egypt, an impossible task for them to accomplish on their own. He had established a relationship with them at Sinai. That was despite their idolatry with the calf and their complaining along the way. Why in the world would they think God hated them? They didn't rescue themselves from Egypt. God had no reason to love them. God had no reason to keep his covenant with them. God had no reason to bless them. He had no reason to give them the land, aside from the fact that he had given his word to their forefathers. They hadn't earned it from God. So if God had loved them through all that, why would they think God hated them now? Why would they think he wouldn't do the impossible now? And see, this is part of the challenge that Moses faces before he dies. All those obstacles, the walled cities, the innumerable armies, the giants, all those obstacles, they still await this generation right across that river. Those people in camp down there, they can see right across the river to the, the mighty walls of Jericho. When we were down at the Dead Sea, it was cool because our tour guide pointed out, we were there for a beach trip, and we went down there, and he pointed out, he goes, and that up there, that's for a traditional spot over across the Dead Sea. It's a mountaintop, and he goes, there's, you see that building up there? There's three of them. He goes, the middle one, that's commemorated to celebrate the spot where Moses died. But then he said, down now, you see down in that valley, that's where all Israel was encamped. Huge open area right before the river. Well, the thing is, right across the river, it's all flat. There's no, nothing to block sight. I mean, all they would have seen is this massive walled city of Jericho. <laughs> They're just sitting there camping, eating their breakfast, going, yep, that's obstacle number one. They would have been right across there. You know, they could see this. And will this generation trust that God loves them? You know, and so Moses, he's trying to instill this into them that they were so off in their idea about God. God had loved them. He'd already done the impossible for them. Why would he stop now? Why would he stop for this generation? What's interesting is when I don't believe God loves me, then I don't trust him, right? But I don't think he loves me. I don't think he has my best intent. Then I don't trust him. I think I can take better care of myself than he can, so I do things my way. Now, the funny thing about how this works for Christians is that, well, sometimes we do what God says because we think that's what's best for us. And so we get confused. We don't really understand what the problem with us is because we go, well, yeah, I do what the Lord says, but we only do it when we think it's what's best for us. 
The real crux comes, what about when we don't think that? That's when we really find out if we believe that he loves us. Because when we look over there and we say, <laughs> ain't no way to take that thing. Go and take that city. How? How? We're not warriors. Lord, you know, I mean, if, at least if you'd maybe given us instructions, like, hey, start collecting the dirt for the rampart you're going to build to walk up there. But the Lord hasn't said anything. It's going to get even funnier when they get there because they're going to get there. The Lord's going to go, here's the marching orders. Like, okay, finally. March around the city seven times. And then on the seventh time, do it, and, you know, seven times and blow, the, blow a trumpet. Everybody blow the trumpet. It's a priest, but I'm, I'm being dramatic. Blow a trumpet and the walls will just come down. Now, that's impossible. You understand that, right? Like walls don't just come down when you blow a trumpet, all right? My, my son plays a trumpet, our house is fine, all right? He practices all the time. I've never heard shaking in the foundation. You know, I've never worried that it's coming down. So that's not a natural event that's going to occur. That's a supernatural event. Now, this generation, of course, you know how the story goes. They do it because at some point they really became convinced that God loved them and that they just needed to follow him no matter what. We learn that about ourselves when we look at a situation like that and we go, that's not going to work, God. Submit to my husband? <laughs> you know what kind of husband I have, Lord? Love my wife like Christ loves the church? You know what Jesus did? Torture. I've had people tell me that. You don't understand the person I'm married to. You don't understand the boss I have. You don't understand my situation, Pastor Will. You're right, I don't. But I do understand God's commandments. And that's all I've got to offer you <laughs> is a God who loves you immensely, always has your back, and that you can trust. Moses is trying to get that truth into their hearts so that they will obey him. I want to encourage you. He's telling them, don't take matters in your own hands like your fathers did. Don't lean on your own understanding. And I want to encourage you to do the same exact thing. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't do what others have done. Don't do maybe what you've done in the past. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in God's love verse 29, and that's what he says. And so Moses, then I said unto you, so now he, he hears their words, they're crying in their tents, God hates us, you know why, what are we going to do now? And so he hears this, and then I said unto you, you love these words of Moses, he says, dread not. The word there, dread not, it means stop shaking, stop shaking. You ever, maybe you haven't, I know I have, just can't sleep at night, your brain's shaking, doing a lot of shaking. How am I going to do this? And you start running through the scenarios. Okay, I could do this. But you've already done that. Like you ran that scenario like 1,800 times. And I think the Lord would say to you, dread not, stop shaking, because I love you, right? Is there really any other answer to that? I mean, what, what else is going to fix it? I mean, aside from just somebody going, hey, here's a million bucks. But really, does that solve the problem? Not entirely. Because I think what the Lord wants us to do is, I think he wants us to get to a place where we just rest in his love. We just, re we find our peace there before the check comes. I think that's what faith is. He says, dread not, neither be you afraid of them. For the Lord your God, which goes before you, he shall fight for you according to all. Remember, he reminds of what he did in Egypt. According to all that he did for you in Egypt, before your eyes, you saw it. And not just Egypt, but in the wilderness, where you have seen how that the Lord your God bear you as a man does bear his son in all the way that you went until you came into this place. The image of a loving father carrying his son through places he can't go on his own is one at least I'm familiar with as a dad. Some of my least favored memories of family is with the kids when we were leaving Disney late at night and you've got the two little ones, which means you can't trade. You've got two of them, so that means you're, I'm carrying one and your wife's carrying the other one and you're waiting in that monorail line and your arms are gonna fall off. You know it. If you have kids, you've been there. You're waiting in that monorail line and you're like, dear Jesus, please let my arms stay on. Please let me just get to this monorail. If you just let me get to this monorail, I will give you the rest of my life. <laughs> Why are you holding them? Because they couldn't go any further, right? 
you were taking them somewhere they couldn't go. That's something we're all familiar with. I mean, how many times, you know, Dad, I can't do that. Right? Come on. You know, you pick them up and you bring them across and you take care of it. The Lord did that for them all throughout that wilderness. He had carried them like a son, like a father does his son. And what's he trying to say to them? He's saying, guys, obstacles don't stop God. And if God has loved you and carried you through obstacles in the past, why would that change now? Why would it change now? One of the main jobs of a leader is to assure God's people that God loves them, that God is for them, and that they can trust him. And I ask you tonight, husbands, do you do that for your family? For your wives and your kids, do you? Do you convince them that God loves them? It's funny because we struggle with loving the people who we love the most. See, what do you mean? That's a contradiction. How do you struggle loving the people you love the most? Well, the people that are dearest to you, we struggle with actually showing real love to them. We have expectations that are unreasonable. Me and Bev talk about this all the time. I've got patience in all the patience in the world for everyone else's kids. I do. Like I see him, you know, acting up or whatever, and I just smile like, oh, you know, being a kid. My kid drops a spoon in the kitchen, and I'm like, are you, what is wrong with you? You know, this is how you carry things. You got it? They're looking at you like, I just dropped a spoon. But it's a culmination of like 18 other things that, you know, you're just like, ah. And we do it in our marriages as well men, your wives, who you, you decided on some day to pop the question to her and say, hey, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you be my wife? I don't want to be with anybody else, just you. And then something happens. We snap. We're unkind with our words. Like, where did that come from? I think we fail sometimes to understand that leadership role that we have for our kids, for our wives, to convince them that God loves them. You're going to get a way better response from that than you will if telling them to toe the line. You might be saying, oh, yeah, Pastor Will, but you know, we have to train a child in the way they should go. You should discipline the child. I, I didn't say we don't. God does that with his kids. But if you're disciplining in anger, you're not the Lord. If you're overly critical and unkind with your words, that's not the Lord. There was not a day last week, maybe two weeks ago, I was so tired. I was grumpy. Mondays are not my best day. I'm wiped out. I'm just tired, emotionally drained. As you could probably see, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so it's a very emotional experience for me. I tell this to people, and they don't believe it, but I'm incredibly introverted. Like, if I just, you give me a book, and you set me in a chair, and you're like, here you go, Will. I'd be like, I'm in heaven. Everyone's going to leave you alone for like three weeks. I'd be like, okay. I tend to get exhausted in group environments and stuff. So like Monday, I'm just like emotionally drained. I'm tapped out. But like, I can't just check out. My family still needs me. And it was, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. And my son, poor son, you know, little guy comes up to me. And he says, hey, dad. And it's like 8.15 or something. Bedtime for him is 8.30. He's like, hey, dad. Hey, could we have a family game night tonight? And I looked at him and I'm like, what are you talking about? It's 8.15. You're going to bed in 15 minutes. We can't even play Uno in 15 minutes. And I heard myself. I was like, who do you think you are? That's your son. And immediately caught myself. I, I'm so sorry. I said, hey, you know what? And I, you see his face. You know, he's just like, I just want to know we have a game night. I'll never ask to play Clue again. I was just crushed. Oh, I just totally blew it. I looked at him. I said, hey. I said, you know what? I'm so sorry. Daddy shouldn't have said that. It is too late tonight, but we will have a family game night another night this week. And it's so easy to do that, isn't it? so easy to do that with your spouse, with your kids. You and I have a responsibility as leaders in our home to convince our wives and our kids that God loves them. If you own a business or you're in management, are the people that work for you convinced that God loves them? That's your job. Your job is to assure them that God loves them. If you give them the impression that God doesn't like them very much or God's annoyed with them all the time because you're annoyed with them all the time and they know you're a Christian, then you're not doing your job. Or maybe you're in ministry and you're a leader 
The people who attend your meeting or your ministry or serve with you in ministry as part of your team, are they convinced that God loves them because of the impact you have in their life? When Jesus was instructing Peter about how to lead, he didn't say to him, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Lord. All right, make sure you beat my sheep and keep in line. Is that what he said? He said, tend my little lambs, feed my sheep, tend my flock. You care for them. They're mine, not yours. You care for them. You know, the job of a pastor is to make sure that people know that God loves them. God loves you guys so much. I would ask you tonight, if your kids or your spouse or your friends struggle with God's love, is it possible because they don't see it in you? They don't see that from you? And if so, well, there's a beautiful word for that. Repent, change. Jesus can fix that. Doing this doesn't necessarily guarantee people will trust the Lord and do what he says, but it does set them up for success. And unfortunately, in this situation, Israel persists in their rebellion. For Moses says in verse 32, yet in this thing, you did not believe the Lord your God. You didn't trust him. Even though I I tried to encourage you with God's love, you didn't trust him. You're the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in, in fire by night, and to show you by what way you should go and in a cloud by day. I mean, they had so much of the visible manifestation of God's love love, leading them step by step by step. They had experienced that God led them into a dead end. Remember at the Red Sea? Mountain on one side, mountain on the other side, Red Sea in front of them, Egyptian army behind them. But it was the presence of God that led them there. But they had seen how God could make a way where there was no way. Lord, we're blocked in every direction. He's like, really? Watch this. And he parts the Red Sea. How do you walk through that and then get to the promised land and go, I don't know about this God. You got really tall people there. There's a lot of them over there. Yeah, cities have walls. God split the ocean in half. I'm sure he can take care of that. But they had forgotten that love. They had not embraced that love that God had for them. And so they persisted in the rebellion. And God, at this point, then he became angry with them for their unbelief. Verse 34. And the Lord heard the voice of your words, and he was wroth. It means to have strong displeasure, to be angry. And he swears, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he has trodden upon and to his children, because he has wholly followed the Lord. God was angry at their unbelief because he's only been good to them. God gets angry at the world's unbelief because he's only been good to us. When we choose to not trust God, it is a willful decision to be ungrateful and to ignore what's best for us. A willful decision to do so. Hebrews eleven six it says, it says, he who comes to God must believe that he is, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you are going to remain faithless, or refuse to trust the Lord, that displeases God. It upsets God. In fact, it's, it's the one thing that's going to keep somebody out of heaven. Faith is the means by which God has chosen to save us, and therefore faith is the means by which we experience his forgiveness, right? So if we're going to remain in unbelief, then there's no forgiveness and no salvation. It's the one thing that keeps us out of heaven. Now, if you have embraced the cross and embraced Jesus, and so you're saved, it just still doesn't please God when we don't trust him. He's like, you'll trust me with your soul, but not with the water bill? Or this relationship that you're struggling through? Or, or this situation at work? I think sometimes it's because eternal salvation sometimes seems less tangible than that problem facing us right at that moment. The Lord was upset with them for this. He was angry with their unbelief, and so he made a promise to them that they would not see the good land. No one from that generation would see the land that he had promised to them, except, verse 36, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Why? 
He shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he has trodden upon. He was one of the faithful spies with Joshua. And to his children, because he has wholly followed the Lord. I love this, because wholly followed there, it means to be completely dedicated to pursuing something. That made me stop for a moment as I was studying. I'm like, whoa. Caleb, he said, he was completely dedicated to following what? It's not actually a what, right? It's a who. He was completely sold out, dedicated to following the Lord. When I think of Caleb, I think of this fiery, brave guy. He wasn't given the best name. Caleb means dog. And back then, dog is not generally was not considered this happy thing. I mean, we think of our pet dog and it's all everything like that. Whatever people treat their dogs like kids today. And if you do that, no condemnation. But I always pictured kind of this rough and tumble guy. He's got this name and like, hey, dog. And he's like, I'll show you a dog. I mean, he just seems like that fiery kind of guy, like don't mess with him. But like, he didn't believe this. He didn't believe that God would give him the land because he's just some brave dude. He was sold out to being wherever the Lord was. Do you get that? He was sold out. Wherever God was going, that's where he was going to go. Wherever the Lord was going to be, that's where he wanted to be. He was wholly dedicated to knowing the Lord, to his relationship with the Lord. And that's what kept him in the midst of all the obstacles that he saw around him. Because what he wasn't seeing was them. All he saw was the Lord's going this way. I want to be with him. And isn't that what Paul said in the New Testament when he said, I am pursuing the high prize of my calling, right? I press on. Everything else can go behind, but I press on to the high prize of my calling. And what was it? That I may know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Caleb was cut from the same cloth. He wanted to know the Lord and follow his lead. And he was completely dedicated to pursuing that. And I ask you tonight, is that your mindset? Where everything else just needs to get out of the way, right? All the obstacles, you're not going to see those things. I just see the Lord's going this way. I'm going to go that way. It's interesting because the Lord told the, the disciples where he was going, right? He's going to the cross. What did one of them say? I think it was Philip. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and what the way is. Maybe it's Thomas. I can't remember. I think it's Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And that's when those famous words that mean so much to me now. You ever faced a situation you don't know what to do? Anybody here besides me? You know, you're not exactly sure what to do. You're like, how do I handle this, Lord? And then just things are approaching. Things are approaching. You're like, I don't know what to do. Like, nothing's changing. And you're waiting for, God, for kind of all of a sudden, like, God to drop the magical answer down. You're like, ah, there's the answer. Or bring somebody into your life with a suggestion. You go, that's the answer. And when I was over in Israel, there was a situation, not there, but just back here that was facing me. And I just, I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm just praying, God. I've been seeking him for a while. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And one of the guys who was teaching taught about where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he was talking about how as we, we have these questions and we're like, Lord, what do I do? Where do I go? And the Lord's just like, I'm the way. Me, follow me. Just pursue me. That's the direction you need to go. And I finally, when I kind of just decided to lay down all the other, yeah, I know you're the way, but I want to know the way. And the Lord's like, I am the way. <laughs> it's what it means. You know this verse. You have this memorized since you were a baby Christian. You've been walking me for this many years. I am the way. And when I realized that, I just kind of broke down inside. And I thought, Lord, it's that simple, isn't it? Just follow you. And you, you, you all end up where I need to be. I don't need to keep my eyes on the obstacles. What, do I, what about this? What about this? He's like, just focus. <laughs> Stay focused, Will. I'm right here. Just follow my footsteps. And you know what? A peace just flooded my heart. And I was like, that's good enough for me. And since then, it's been awesome to be able to rest in the fact I'm not sure what to do here or here or here, but I don't need to know because I already do know. Just follow my Jesus. Just like Caleb did, wholly, completely dedicated to pursuing him. The reason that Caleb and Joshua succeeded where those other 10 leaders failed, those other 10 leaders who had the same Holy Spirit, the same power of God upon them that the other 10 failed in, 
One difference. Those two men were convinced that God loved them. Absolutely convinced that God loved them. That was the difference. God loves us. We did not earn his love, nor could we work towards more of his favor. But when we are convinced of God's love towards us, and that he is able to equip us and fulfill all that he has called us for, there is no stopping us. With God, all things are possible. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.